Today on the Matt Wall Show, there's a new TikTok influencer taking the internet by storm. It's Osama bin Laden. Apparently, a bunch of Gen Zers have suddenly discovered bin Laden and decided that he's not such a bad guy after all. We'll talk about that. Also, the Daily Wire has a stunning report about the FBI's decision to let a child rapist stay on the street so they could focus on hunting down January Sixers instead. And high school debate leagues are not what they used to be. These days, you can apparently win a debate by pointing out that the other team is too white. We'll talk about all that and more today on the Matt Wall Show. With profiling, surveillance, and data harvesting, there are lots of things not to like about tech giants. But what can you actually do about it when you rely on so many of their products? Well, the good news is it doesn't take much for you to take a stand. For less than $7 a month, you can join me and fight back against big tech by using ExpressVPN. How do you think big tech companies make all their money? Well, uh, by tracking your searches, video history, and everything you click on, and then selling your personal data. ExpressVPN helps you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your uh, IP address, a unique identifier that every device has that allows big tech to match your activity back to you. That's why I use ExpressVPN on all my devices to make it much more difficult for them to exploit my data for their own profits. The best part is how easy it is to use. I just tap one button on my phone or computer to turn it on. That's all it takes to keep people out of my business. So, if you don't like big tech tracking you and selling your personal data for a profit, it's time to fight back. Visit expressvpn.com slash Walsh right now to protect your online freedom and privacy. That's expressvpn.com slash Walsh, expressvpn.com slash Walsh. Lynette Adkins is not exactly the person you'd expect to kickstart a social media conversation about international terrorism and how Osama bin Laden might have done the right thing by ordering the 9-11 terrorist attacks. For one thing, Lynette Adkins is a recent college graduate whose most recent video on YouTube is entitled Getting Hotter and Making Friends in L.A. In 2021, Adkins was profiled by the Los Angeles Times not for her great insights on world affairs, but because of her videos on, quote, College life, skin, and hair care, including a tutorial for black women growing out their natural hair. Adkins, the Times reported, was uh, mainly successful because she often told her followers, which now number well over 200,000 on various social media platforms, how they could uh, quit their white-collar jobs and become a vapid social media personality like herself. But just a couple of days ago, Adkins offered an insight into a very different topic, claiming that she was in the midst of an existential crisis Atkins posted this short video on TikTok. Watch. I need everyone to stop what they're doing right now and go read. It's literally two pages. Go read A Letter to America. And please come back here and just let me know what you think. Because I feel like I'm going through like an existential crisis right now. And a lot of people are. So I just need someone else to be feeling this too. She's having an existential crisis, she says. Now we're a long way from uh, telling black women how to grow out their natural hair. In that clip, Adkins conspicuously doesn't mention what a letter to America is, apparently because she she's worried that people might not be interested in the document. They might not go and look it up if they were to learn ahead of time that it was Osama bin Laden's manifesto justifying the 9-11 attacks. But in the end, Adkins' ploy apparently worked. As the New York Post reported, Adkins single-handedly, quote, jump-started a flood of activity on social media, and especially on TikTok, about Osama bin Laden's manifesto. Several other outlets also credited Adkins for what happened next. And what happened next is that the hashtag 
Letter to America was trending on TikTok, had more than 14 million views as of Thursday afternoon. And on Twitter, the same hashtag quickly accounted for nearly 100,000 posts. So this letter from Osama bin Laden has become, uh, you know, decades later, an internet sensation. The journalist Yashar Ali reported that uh, in thousands of TikToks, people of all races, ethnicities, backgrounds responded to bin Laden's letter. And for the most part, these TikToks involved young people saying that bin Laden's letter has led to them to reevaluate their perspective on terrorism um, and how it can be, in fact, they're saying now, a legitimate form of protest to a hostile colonizing power. He uploaded just a small sample of those TikToks, and we will take a look at a small sample of that sample. Here it is. This morning, I read Letter to America, which is Osama bin Laden's letter to America explaining why he attacked Americans. And I am ashamed to say that I not only have never read this letter, but I didn't even know this letter existed. It's wild and everyone should read it. If you haven't read it yet, read it. However, be forewarned that this has left me very disillusioned and I feel the same exact way I felt when I was deconstructing Christianity. I feel uh, a little bit just confused like I have entered into another timeline. What is this? And yeah, so go read it. So I just read a letter to America and I will never look at life the same. I will never look at this country the same. I will never, I, please read it. And if you have read it, let me know if you are also going through an existential crisis in this very moment, because in the last 20 minutes, my entire viewpoint on the entire life I have believed and I have lived has changed. Please read that entire letter. I need you to stop what you're doing and go read A Letter to America. It is literally the craziest thing I've read in a while. And while I can't say that I'm that surprised, I am pretty shocked. So go read it and tell me what you think because I really also need to talk to other people about this. And actually, before you even read the letter, I did want to mention, in reading the letter, I could only think of this tweet that I saw the other day. Under settler colonialism, any kind of resistance is branded as terrorist because the only acceptable violence is violence by the occupier. Okay, so Osama bin Laden, the mass murderer of 3,000 people, has opened their eyes. He has enlightened them with his penetrating insights and uh, deep wisdom. And they're talking about this letter like it's, it, well, they said it will absolutely change your life. Which, by the way, I have read the letter. And um, it is, uh, on top of being the ramblings of a mass murderer, it is uh, not nearly as insightful as they're making it out to be. Um, and it also includes a whole lot of uh, things that these people, being that they're left-wing TikTokers, um, might, must not have noticed because uh, Osama bin Laden's ideology, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it's not exactly uh, one that you would think these people would generally agree with. And, you know, for anyone who lived through 9-11, which many of these TikTok personalities didn't, and I think that's part of the issue here, it still is, it's, it's hard for us to make sense of this. 20 years ago, even the most rabid leftists on college campuses didn't go out in public and proudly suggest that bin Laden was justified. That would have been unthinkable. Instead, the left generally agreed that acts of terrorism that kill thousands of U.S. citizens are bad. You know, the mass protests that we saw after 9-11, which began in earnest in like 2002, 
were almost entirely in response to the planned U.S. military intervention in Iraq, a country that, it turns out, didn't have anything to do with 9-11. That was the concern there. Until that point, the country was mostly unified. There was no groundswell of support on the left in defense of 9-11 on the internet or anywhere else. So what changed? Well, for one thing, academic theories of decolonization as the reaction to the events in the Middle East currently is made clear, um, these, these ideas are not just academic anymore. They have filtered down from the university system into the mainstream. But as I've said repeatedly, decolonization, uh, you know, it's about much more than Israel. And this latest TikTok trend makes that very clear. The, the ultimate objective of decolonizers is the destruction of anything that these zealots perceive as too white. Decolonization is a genocidal ideology. It expressly justifies the mass slaughter of innocents, white innocents specifically, on the grounds that no white person can actually be innocent. That was, that was certainly Osama bin Laden's view of things, and these TikTokers agree with him. And of course, that means that the thousands of people who died on 9-11 uh, were not innocent by this logic. Most of the people living in the United States right now are not innocent. One of the many striking aspects of this ideology is how incoherent and self-defeating it is. I mean, if, if uh, libs of TikTok's videos are any indication, uh, people on TikTok would be among the very first to get stoned to death if bin Laden's version of Sharia law ever came to the United States, which, by the way, is another demand in bin Laden's letter, the total subservience of the West to Sharia law. I guess these people didn't notice that or don't know what it means or both. Only a defeated and very confused people with a constant connection to other very confused and defeated people on the internet would ever support their own eradication like this. But none of these people uploading this nonsense to TikTok actually came up with this idea on their own, of course, for a long time now. Many commentators have lamented that, you know, the schools are, are failing and, and asking, what are they teaching these kids and so on in response to these videos. I've seen a lot of that on Twitter. People say, oh, look at the schools failing. What are, what are they teaching the kids in these schools? Well, the answer is pretty clear. What are they teaching kids in schools? Uh, they're teaching them this. This is what they're teaching them. Schools have, have not failed, actually. They have succeeded in creating exactly the sort of people that they set out to create. Now, the schools in our country may not be explicitly defending bin Laden, but, or maybe they are in some cases, but mostly they are spreading a deep hatred of white Western civilization. They have taught that colonization is an abject and eternal evil with no positive upshot whatsoever. They've told students that the very idea of policing is a white supremacist concept intended to victimize black people. They've taught that whiteness is a sickness, a cancer that must be eradicated. This is the actual language that is being used in schools. Of course, they've said the same thing about the fundamental concepts of biology and, and other concepts as well. Schools want students to grow into adults who hate this country and hate the truth and hate reality and everything about it. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. We are seeing the fruits of all of that labor. At the same time, it needs to be said that the blame doesn't entirely fall on the university system or the school system. For one thing, it's probably not a coincidence that this trend is taking off on a Chinese social media app. As hard as this may be to believe, there are consequences, it turns out, to allowing millions of kids to spend their entire day ingesting content from an algorithm controlled by a communist adversary. 
In a follow-up video, the woman who apparently started this whole trend on TikTok, Lynette Adkins, went on to acknowledge that TikTok uh, has a role in reprogramming Americans. Watch. When I tell y'all TikTok is going to save this generation, the amount of things that we've learned on this app in this past month alone, that other people in other generations, I try to talk to them about it, they don't understand, they don't get it. Because they've been literally so programmed to think a certain way. TikTok is undoing all of that. It's crazy to watch in real time. If you haven't already, go read A Letter to America. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and by the way, just so you know, you're not teaching us anything we didn't know. Oh, did you know that, that Osama bin Laden attacked the United States because he hated Western civilization? Oh, really? I had no idea. No, you're the first person that, that we had no clue that that was why. We've been wondering all this time. We had wondered about that. And uh, thankfully, some 20-somethings on TikTok came along 20 years later. To, to, to inform us. So we really appreciate that. We had no clue. But I had no idea. I, I thought that Osama bin Laden loved the, the West. So I didn't know. Now, young people, Lynette Adkins says, have been so programmed to think a certain way. And now she says, quote, TikTok is undoing all that. It's crazy to watch it in real time. And that is an understatement. It may be the only true and useful thing that Lynette has ever said on her various social media channels. And apparently it's the last thing she's going to say. Because as of this morning, Lynette's videos on TikTok, including the one I just showed you, are all inaccessible. Her account apparently does not exist anymore. It's not clear whether TikTok took her account down or if she deleted her account herself. We, we reached out to her for an explanation. She didn't respond. And for its part, TikTok is claiming to be outraged by all this. They've suppressed any videos that use the term letter to America or Osama bin Laden. You try to search for it, you'll get a warning about community guidelines. And the company has put out statements saying that they're horrified that this letter has resurfaced. They're horrified. They're not the only one saying that. The Guardian, which hosted a version of this letter on their website for the past 20 years, deleted the letter from its website in response to all the traffic from TikTok. And of course, in response, interest in bin Laden's letter only grew from there because you can't delete anything from the internet. And if you try, you just encourage more people to seek it out, which is why the Guardian's decision to delete the letter was ridiculous and did more harm than good. So you can interpret these reactions from TikTok and the Guardian however you want. You could choose to believe that a social media platform controlled by the Communist Party of China is deeply upset that American youth are talking about how bin Laden was justified in taking down the Twin Towers. You could choose to believe that uh, social media mercenary Lynette Adkins, for some reason, decided to, out of the blue one day, to promote this whole idea. You know, you could ignore how strange it is that this person of, of everyone would start this trend and then disappear from social media. But no matter what, whether you think this is just the latest successful Chinese propaganda effort or not, one fact remains, which no amount of online censorship can change. The truth is that after 9-11, you know, there were scattered reports of celebrations that broke out in response to the violence. Most of those reports are unverified and disputed to this day. But if another 9-11 happened today, it would not be difficult to find people celebrating. All you'd have to do is look at any college campus or go on TikTok. That is the harshest reality to contemplate here. Everybody was basically on the same page after 9-11. Okay, sometimes we, I think, overstate when people talk about the unity, the great unity we had as a country after 9-11. I think that's oftentimes overstated. But it is true that after 9-11, anyone who went through it knows this. Everybody was sad. Everybody was angry. And so we were on the same page in that way. And that was the last time we would all be on the same page about anything. If a similar attack was launched today, we would not even be able to agree that it's a sad thing. 
And that fact is now unavoidable. It's unavoidable because, uh, because of an ideology that both parties have been subsidizing in the university system and public school system for decades. This is an ideology that our leaders have done nothing to combat for all the years it's festered. In fact, they have only facilitated and promoted it. So now instead of our young people looking up to great authors or public servants or something like that, people with good moral character, they look up to tedious social media influencers like Lynette Adkins. They look up to Osama bin Laden. And that's as humiliating an indictment of a society as you can find. But for China, which controls TikTok, it's fantastic news. Xi Jinping just promised at the APEC summit that there will be no hot war with the United States. And, uh, but what he didn't say is that he won't need to launch a hot war in order to weaken, delegitimize, and ultimately destroy this country. All he needs to do is have an army of useful idiots who want to destroy Western civilization from within. And if there's anything we can learn from what's happened on TikTok this week, it's that Xi Jinping now has that army. And it is bigger and dumber than he could have possibly hoped for. Now let's get to our five headlines. For most homeowners, window replacement is not something they've done before. And for many, it isn't something that they want to do, but rather something they have to do. If you've put off replacing windows in your home because it's too expensive, I have great news. You can now get a free in-home window consultation and a free price quote from Renewal by Anderson. Renewal by Anderson's signature service is committed to giving you the best customer experience possible through the perfect combination of the best people in the industry, a superior process, and an exclusive product. Right now, Renewal by Anderson is offering a free in-home or virtual consultation on durable quality, affordable uh, windows or patio doors for $0 down, zero payments, and zero interest for a year. Text Walsh to 200-300 for your free consultation to save $375 off every window and $750 off every door. These savings won't last long, so be sure to check it out by texting Walsh to 200-300. That's Walsh to 200-300. Texting privacy policy, terms, conditions, posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to opt out. Go to windowappointmentnow.com for full offer details. There's a very, report, uh, very important report on the Daily Wire right now, and you should go read it for yourself. Not a lot of analysis is really necessary, but um, I'll read just a little bit of it here. On January 6, 2021, the FBI explicitly chose to abandon a sting on a child pornographer in Virginia who was messaging with an undercover agent about having sex with a nine-year-old boy, opting instead to focus on prosecuting Donald Trump's supporters who stormed the U.S. Capitol. Less than three years later, the FBI discovered the same man living in Alaska, where he appears to have been performing sex acts on a 10-year-old boy, according to court, to court documents. On December 2nd, 2020, an inter internet user with the screen name GayBoy69Freak messaged an undercover agent with the FBI's Washington field office who was posing as a father pimping out his nine-year-old son and told him that he wanted to travel to D.C. to have sex with the boy. The man also sent the agent a video of a prepubescent minor male uh, being uh, assaulted, being raped. Um, his IP address led the FBI to Brogan Welsh of Glen Allen, Virginia. Um, but what appears to be a slam dunk case against a child predator was abruptly abandoned just one month later. Quote, according to court documents on January 6, 2021, FBI Washington field office decided this investigation was halted due to events that occurred at the United States Capitol uh, that day. The man was only arrested and the court documents only filed because Welsh moved to Alaska and crossed the Anchorage FBI's radar in an unrelated perversion investigation 
On uh, October 24th, 2023, after coming across troubling chats from Welsh on a phone they seized from a different alleged pervert, Alaska FBI agents went into his house and located uh, items that uh, made it very clear that he was a child predator um, and abusing a child, and they uh, and then they then arrested him. Um, and there's in this report, like I said, you should read the report. If you didn't, you know, if you still have somehow any faith in um, our federal law enforcement agencies, then uh, if you have any faith left, then you should read that report and by the end of it have all that faith uh, taken away. And there are some examples of text messages in this article sent by this predator. I'm definitely not going to read them. Uh, you can see them in the report as well. I will say that um, this case again raises the question, raises a couple of questions. One of them is we must once again ask, why don't we just automatically execute uh, people like this? I mean, it is insane, like truly insane that someone can rape a child and not have a mandatory decapitation as the penalty as soon as they are convicted in a court of law. So I'm not just saying that we should execute child rapists publicly in the town square. I'm saying that it's actually crazy that we don't. This, is, this shouldn't be some sort of uh, radical, wild suggestion that some of us are making. It's like, it's like, why are this is insane that we don't do this. What else is there to do with these people? What are we going to do? Pay thousands of dollars to feed and house them for the rest of their lives? Why? Why in God's name would we do that? But that's what we do. Or sorry, we don't do that. Apparently, we, we don't even do that much. In uh, some of these cases, and in this case, uh, the FBI did nothing at all. The predator suffered no penalty at all, and uh, and and then went on to, well, we say that he went on to um, horribly abuse another child, but it is like certain that he went on to horribly abuse many more children. Uh, it's just this is the, the one instance instance where he was caught again. So. Just to reiterate, the FBI knew about a psychopathic child rapist who was out there. They had him dead to rights, had all the evidence they needed, could have put him away. And they decided not to pursue it. They, they made the conscious decision and said, you know what, we're going to let him stay out there and continue raping children. Because instead, we need to uh, go and, and track down uh, the people who trespassed in the U.S. Capitol. And that's what they decided to spend the next three years of their time doing. Because, of course, the FBI doesn't care about protecting children. They don't care about the, the law. They don't care about any of this. It's an entirely political, ideological uh, entity. And this is maybe the most egregious and horrific uh, you know, evidence that we've seen of that. And what makes it all the worse is that there, there will be no accountability. You know, this is, this, is, this is the nature of federal bureaucracies. This is why they exist largely, to shield those in power from any kind of accountability. So there's a, this is, there's a very real thing that happened here with, with quantifiable, tangible consequences. Um, and there are actual human beings responsible, like some actual people with names made the express decision to not go after this guy and to let him stay out in, in the world abusing children. 
But whoever those people are, they will never be held accountable for it. That's what we know. New York Post has a story here. A Georgia high school football coach was fired after he held a baptism service for 20 of his players on school grounds last month, according to a report. The superintendent of uh, Tatnall County High School announced Coach Isaac Farrell's firing after a video uploaded to the team's official Facebook page showed players being baptized in a tub by a local pastor. Footage shows Pastor Gary Few directing players individually to sit in a large black tub of water before saying to them, I baptize you now, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Pastor then ducks their heads under the water while surrounding players cheer and support. But the incident outraged some community members, eventually leading one to inform a group called the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And uh, that foundation then went after the school, and now the coach has been fired, though I believe he still has... um, his teaching job, but he's been fired from uh, from his coaching position. And this is, yes, it's outraged to people like the Freedom from Religion Foundation and others on the left. I think we have a we have a clip of what this baptism looked like. Let's watch that. Are you willing to commit the rest of your life to him? Yes, sir. All right. Let's go. Let's Put your feet up. <laughs> I got you. Oh. Oh. I baptize you now, my brother, and I'm the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. I baptize you, So there's 20 baptisms that were done. Now, first of all, um, I'm Catholic, and I will say that. This is not how we handle baptisms, generally speaking, in the Catholic Church. Usually, usually they're done in a church, and there's a process before the baptism in most cases. Uh, it's not like a spur-of-the-moment deal. It can be in certain circumstances, but um, that's, uh, that's how they did it in this case. And does that infringe on anybody's rights? Like, that's the real question. Is it a betrayal of the principle of separation of church and state? And the answer to uh, that question is no, and no on a few levels. The separation of church and state, to begin with, has always been a misnomer anyway. Um, I think most of the audience, you know, you probably know the history here. Uh, Separation of church and state is not written anywhere in the Constitution or in any founding legal document. It is a phrase used by Thomas Jefferson in a letter Uh, to a Baptist church where he gives his opinion in a letter. And his opinion is that we have to be careful about letting the government intrude on the church, not the other way around. And somehow we got from that letter that was written by Thomas Jefferson. It's just a letter. It's not a legal document. We got from that letter to the idea that it's unconstitutional for like teachers to have a crucifix in their classroom. It's, it's absurd. It's like, it's, it's an insane interpretation of a fabricated legal principle. That's the truth. But also, however you interpret that, um, separation of church and state and all the rest of it, this event after football practice is obviously uh, obviously not an imposition on anyone or anything. The players were not forced to participate. This was not a forced baptism. They weren't being told that they had to be baptized as a condition of being on the team. It was after practice, and those who wanted to participate did. Those who didn't, didn't. Lots of kids did which actually is not a surprise because football has always been a sport that attracts very religious people. Um, It's always been the case. Just listen to the way that even professional football players speak at press conferences 
and so on. There was just a great example of that recently. C.J. Stroud is the rookie uh, quarterback in uh, Houston uh, at, at a recent uh, pres- after the postgame press conference was proclaiming his faith in Christ in, in a very profound way that you don't often hear people do um, in the mainstream, uh, uh, you know, on a public platform. But football players do it all the time, which I think is great. And one of the reasons why I'm a big football fan. Also one of the reasons why, not to get too sidetracked, but I think it's unfortunate that so many conservatives in particular have um, recently decided that football is woke and we shouldn't, you know, it's, it's they've, the whole sport and it's a waste of time and it's it, it doesn't matter. Uh, I think that's unfortunate because, first of all, sports are an important part of culture. And so if you're interested in defending culture, you can't just give up on, on a whole aspect of culture. And also, again, football is like it actually attracts conservative religious people. And that is still the case. Um, so that's part of what we're seeing in the, in, in the video in the, with this case. It's not hurting anybody else. And especially if you don't believe in Christianity, this is one of the things I don't get. If you don't believe, like in the power of baptism, then that then that's all the more reason why you shouldn't care, because then from your perspective, this is just they're they're dunking their heads underwater as a kind of team building exercise. From your perspective, that's all they're doing, which maybe from your perspective is sort of weird, but it's also totally harmless. Um, here's the other point though. I think maybe the most important point is that I guarantee right now that if that coach had called the players together and given them a chance to announce their pronouns and profess their sexuality, none of the people complaining would be complaining. If the coach pulled out a rainbow flag and had them all pledge allegiance to it, these same people would be giving him an award. You know, so don't talk to me about the separation of church and state when you openly advocate for schools to be used as a tool for explicitly promoting your own religion, your faith. And you might not call it that, but that's what it is. All right, moving to uh, this report, I think is kind of interesting. This is from studyfinds.org. It says, when tragic events happen, no matter how far away from us they are, it's hard not to pay attention. Many of us empathize with the people in these situations and wonder how we can get involved or if there's anything we can do to help. Over the past few years, we've borne witness to a series of pivotal global events from the COVID pandemic to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, as well as many natural disasters. Uh, Just when it seemed that things could not get worse, Hamas launched an attack on Israel. Um, And uh, but as the as the report continues to explain, citing various different uh, scientific uh, supposed authorities, that all of this leads to what they're calling compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue is a stress response that results in feelings of apathy or indifference towards those who are suffering. This phenomenon is particularly common in healthcare. Health and social workers may be particularly prone because the nature of the work often means sharing the emotional burden of your patients. But we're being told that compassion fatigue is a um, widespread phenomenon now. Uh, and what they're saying is because so many horrible things are happening in the world and so people are fatigued and, and it's making, you know, it's, it's having the, the reverse effect of making them more indifferent to world events. And, you know, compassion fatigue sounds like the kind of concept that I would make fun of. And maybe by all rights, I should. But I will shock you and say that I think there's some validity to this idea. Now, I, I think 
I'm not sure I would call it compassion fatigue. That's probably not the phrase I would use to describe the phenomenon. But it is a real phenomenon. And it's a consequence of all of us being plugged in and aware of everything happening everywhere all the time. And not just aware of it, but to be, but to be immersed in it. And, and uh, you know, it's not even like maybe what it would have been in the past if you pick up a newspaper and you get a very small sort of curated collection of all the things that are happening in the world. And then you put the newspaper down and you go about your day. Now it's just a constant onslaught of everything happening all the time. And, um, and it, it's not just articles, but it's videos and it's images. And if there's some really horrible thing that happened that we're all going to see, whether we want to see it or not, if you're on social media, you're scrolling along and then boom, right in front of your face, you didn't even choose to watch it. You just saw someone get shot or killed or blown up. I mean, um, this is what we're, we're all, uh, this is the situation we're all in. And it isn't natural. And I, I don't even think that we quite grasp just how unnatural all of this is. Human beings are not meant to carry around in our heads, in our consciences, this awareness of thousands of things happening thousands of miles away from us. Um, I think it has, it has us totally overwhelmed and numb. It has our priorities wildly out of balance. And the worst thing is that we're all suffering from this, right? Um, from this, uh, if we want to call it compassion fatigue. And yet, and yet we wield it against each other in, in, in certain um, opportune times. Like, we all understand what this is like. And we all know that you, you can't, like, be emotionally invested in everything. And we all know that. And yet, um, if something bad happens in the world, and if you don't appear to be immediately devastated by it, if you aren't obsessively focused on it, if you aren't as angry and sad as you are supposed to be, then other people will go, well, why don't you care about this? What, what about this, huh? Why aren't you talking about this? Why don't you care about this more? Why don't you focus on this more? Well, I don't know. Maybe because I'm a human being. Maybe because I can't care deeply about everything happening in the world always. Maybe I'm only emotionally capable of being invested in a very limited number of events at a time. Maybe, again, because I'm a human like you. You know, there was a massacre, I think, in... Uh, I can't even remember where it was, uh, in Sudan just a few days ago. Hundreds of innocent people butchered, um, men, women, children. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody is talking about that. Nobody in this country is talking about it or pretending to care. And I'm not talking about it either. This is the first time you've heard it from me. Um, and you know what? When I heard about it, I didn't, I didn't shed a single tear. I didn't. Now, not because I'm cruel or callous. I, I recognize that it's a terrible tragedy. From an intellectual, like intellectually, I care. Intellectually, I see it as a sad thing. I recognize that. I understand it. But I simply cannot be distraught and devastated by all tragedies that occur everywhere. Because otherwise, I will be distraught and devastated all the time with no break between one tragedy to the next. And that's just not, it's not even like, when I say can't, I mean, it's not just that it would be difficult to operate that way. I mean, literally can't. The human mind is not capable of that. Neither is yours. Nobody's is. And that's why we all typically prioritize and care the most about the things that are closest to us. And so that, that's the thing that, that 
um, is the most frustrating is that you know, it's one thing to be like constantly aware of everything, all the bad things, bad things, bad things, bad things, constantly, always, and we're it's all in, and it's, it's we're surrounded by it all the time. It's one thing for that, but um, it's another thing again when when our natural human impulses and wiring is used against us by other people who know exactly what they're doing, and because uh, this is how all people operate, right? If there's something, if there's some tragedy, like you, you will prioritize the things and care the most about the things that are happening closest to you. Um, that's the way it goes. The things that you are connected to, those are the things that you care the most about. Um, which is why, let's say, in your community, if there's if there's a, a car accident in your community and a child is killed, you will probably, if it's in your community, especially if it's someone that you know you will feel much more emotionally uh, devastated by that than by a report of a massacre of 500 people uh, 5,000 miles away. Even though the other thing is like objectively worse, more people died. You care more about the other thing. Not because you're cruel, not because you're a sociopath, but because you're a human. And you, that's how we are meant to be, is you care about the things that are closest to you. Everybody does. And so... If there's some, if there's something happening far away uh, that you really care a lot about, it's only because you perceive yourself as having some personal connection to it. That's that's why that's that's how it's so selective. You know, it's like we all care about things closest to us, and then when it comes to like global tragedies, and there's a never-ending supply of them, everyone's very selective about which ones they say, "Oh, we should care about." Well. It's because if you perceive a, a personal connection to it, that's why you care about it. And then you turn around to other people who don't perceive that personal connection and, and you get angry at them. Um, one way or another, we all care primarily about the things that are closest to us. And that is natural. Uh, it's how it's supposed to be. Um, it's why, like, ultimately, you know, one of the many reasons why probably the Internet and social media is a net. Well, not probably. Let me back up. Not probably. The internet and social media, definitely a net negative for, for mankind. Um, it exists, and I believe that we, I'm, I'm here right now, so I sense it exists and it's not going anywhere. We should try to use it as best we can for, for good. But best, the best thing would be, if, we could, if I could just snap my fingers and make it all disappear, I would. Because um, one of the many problems with it is how it, uh, it just works against our basic human wiring. Um, and it, it, it takes us away from the immediate, the th- like our communities, our families. These are the things we should, we should care more about those. And if someone says, well, why do you only care? You care more about that? Then, well, of course I care more about that. I'm supposed to. That's the right approach. Uh, but it takes us out of that. And it kind of like, we, we only have a certain amount of compassion that we're capable of. And it just sort of like disperses it everywhere. And... Uh, to the point where it's sort of dispersed into nothingness. And I think that's what's happening. All right. Um, here's something I can feel compassion about. Uh, Fox News has another important report. Some guests are reportedly unable to control their bowels while waiting hours and long lines at Disney theme parks. Uh, one poster on Reddit claimed, I'm in the queue for Rise of the Resistance at Disney World. I guess that's a ride. Someone let their kid take a dump on the floor, and they just walked out and left it. WTF. 
This is a Fox News, whole Fox News. It's like a lengthy Fox News article about people, uh, about people pooping in line at, at uh, theme parks. But I mean, I'm reading. It's important. Another person claimed to be uh, claiming to be a park employee on the uh, Walt Disney World subreddit chimed in to verify the claim about the Star Wars themed bride, writing, quote, for the skeptics, this has actually happened. Fun fact, this was one of three uh, related incidents at Rise today. And then this led to this, uh, I guess, a sort of a, a longer dialogue uh, about this epidemic of people um, relieving themselves in line at Disney World. Apparently, this is like, a, this is a real problem. And only reason I'm telling you about it is that just my case, my case against amusement parks grows stronger by the day. I am vindicated yet again. And, um, and by the way, I was just at an amusement park this past weekend. We went to Dollywood. Um, and, uh, and look, I went with the family at Dollywood amusement park. I'm not supposed to be negative about it or critical. You know, I'm not going to complain. My wife, she says, don't be negative. So, I don't know why she would ever think that I would be negative about something. That's not me. That's not who I am. And I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be negative about our experience at an amusement park last weekend. I'm not going to say anything about it. You know, in fact, I loved it. I loved waiting in line for two and a half hours for a ride that lasts 65 seconds. I, lo- I loved every second of it. I love that. That's, I was just waiting in that line, and I'm going, this is great. This is amazing. I'm so glad we're here doing this. Like, there are so many other things we could be doing today, and I'm glad we chose this. Just wait, just sitting here, just waiting in this line, just standing here. It's a, it's a, that's the amusement park experience, and it's great. That's what's so great about it. It's an opportunity to spend hundreds of dollars waiting in line with antsy, impatient children. And I'm not going to be negative about it. I'm not negative. I'm really not. I think it's great. I love waiting in line. I love uh, standing around with huge crowds of people. It's my favorite thing. For me, it's even better, you know, recently because I've got the added element of, uh, you know, uh, waiting in line. And uh, there's very often be someone nearby who recognizes me, and, and uh, it, which, is, which is fine. Look, it's fine. But then, yeah, I'm a big fan. You know, but, then, but then we, it, we have that interaction. But then we're s- standing next to each other in a line for the next two hours. And so, and that's great. And no, it's great. It really is. And look, honestly, sincerely... I believe that it's not at all insane that we as adults allow amusement parks to exist. It's not at all crazy that we as adults spend exorbitant amounts of money to then spend all day waiting in line. It is, those were great lines. They were the best line. Those lines at Dollywood were my favorite lines I've ever waited in. And uh, I guess the, you know, the, the lines at Disney World are even better. Spectacular lines. And of course, the other great thing is that you're waiting in these lines with children who are as bored and frustrated as you are, but then it like makes you angry that they're bored and frustrated because you spent all this money to bring them. And so if they articulate their boredom and frustration, then you say, stop, don't be ungrateful. Don't say out loud this thing that we're both thinking. Just pretend. We, we spent all this money. You better pretend you're having fun. No, it was, it was great. Uh, we had fun with the lines and total of six minutes of rides in like nine hours. And it was just fantastic. Uh, I recommend it to everybody. Let's get to the comment section. You're a man, it's required that you grow a beard. Hey, we're the sweet baby gang. 
know, the holidays are coming up fast, and while you're out shopping for your kids, family, and friends, don't forget to shop for your pets, too. Give your dog the gift of a healthier and happier life with Rough Greens. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black, the founder of Rough Greens, is focused on improving the health of every dog in America. Before I started feeding my dog Rough Greens, I had no idea that dog food is dead food. It contains very little nutritional value. Think about it. Nutrition isn't brown, it's green. Let Rough Greens bring your dog's food back to life. Rough Greens is a supplement that contains all the necessary vitamins, minerals, probiotics, omega oils, digestive enzymes, and antioxidants that your dog needs. You don't have to go out and buy new dog food. You can just sprinkle Rough Greens on their food every day. Dog owners everywhere are raving about Rough Greens. It supports healthy joints, improves bad breath, boosts energy levels, and so much more. We are what we eat, and that goes for our dogs, too. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black is so confident Rough Greens will improve your dog's health. He's offering my listeners a free Jumpstart trial bag so your dog can try it. Get a free Jumpstart trial bag delivered straight to your door in just a few business days. Go to roughgreens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700. That's R-U-F-F-Greens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700 today. You know, I will also say that uh, this past weekend, uh, we, we also went to the um, Titanic Museum at, in Pigeon Forge, which is right next to Dollywood. And very touristy weekend. We were doing all the touristy stuff. We were identifying as tourists all weekend. And, but you know what? Un, non-sarcastically, I can actually say that the Titanic Museum was pretty cool. I did enjoy that. Also a long line. Another long line. There's lines everywhere. But um, And then I, I did feel slightly guilty for enjoying it. And I didn't bring this up while we were... I never brought this up. I thought about bringing this up as we were walking through the museum to bring up like the ethical dilemma here. And I didn't, I didn't bring it up. Uh, but like hundreds of people died and we're having a grand old time with it. Like this museum, I don't know if you've been to this, this museum, the Titanic museum, the whole, the whole museum looks like the Titanic and, uh, and then you walk into it and they actually have, it's a real museum. They have artifacts and stuff that were recovered from the ship, but they have, for example, they have a section where kids can take turns trying to steer the Titanic away from the iceberg. And so you've got 30 seconds and the iceberg, you know, you got, you're at the wheel and there's, there's a screen and there's the iceberg. And then, um, and they only let kids 10 and under. I don't know why. I, I watched all these kids and they failed completely, just totally incompetent ship captains. I wanted to give it a shot, but the big sign says you have to be 10 and under. Um, but you have 30 seconds to steer the ship away from the iceberg. And if you don't do it, and none of them, none of them successfully did. Then something comes up on the screen like, oh, no, you hit it. Now 1,500 people will die. Better luck next time. Game over. Um, you know, it's fun, but I had like the sneaking suspicion that it might be slightly inappropriate. I don't want to be that guy. They have another part where uh, you ha they have three different models of what the pitch of the ship would have been like as it was sinking. And so, uh, and you can, you can climb up it. So it looks like a, you know, it looks like, part of a ship that's sinking into the water and you can kind of climb up it to see if you can climb all the way up the ship at like a 45 degree angle. And kids are, you know, on it laughing and climbing and people are taking pictures and selfies. It's like 1,500 people died. You know, we turned it into a jungle gym, basically. But, uh, and then you go to the gift shop afterwards. It's okay. I guess because it's been 100 years. I think, I think that's probably the rule. Like once something has once a tragedy is 100 years old, then you can turn it into a kitschy tourist attraction and sell gifts at a gift shop. I think that's what I guess. So we're, we're still a good like 60 years or so from when, say, the Challenger explosion can become a fun activity for kids and families. Um, all right, we'll take a look at some comments about 
These are comments about our discussion of the high school teacher forced to resign after her OnlyFans account was discovered, which is uh, just the latest example of many other examples like this, as we talked about. Katie Jensen says, as a conservative teacher, this is so embarrassing to our profession. It is gross. A week later, another teacher at the same district was fired for also having an OnlyFans. I, somehow I did not see that. So you're saying it wasn't just another teacher, but in the same school district, I also had an OnlyFans. I, I, I missed that update to that story. Uh, Sarah says, it's so crazy to think about a teacher doing this. I'm a high school teacher, and one of my coworkers resigned last year for having an OnlyFans account. Some education students at one of the local colleges were upset about what happened to her. First thing I told them was to consider the fact that students found the account and have access to pornographic pictures of their teacher. Might be a little bit of a problem, you would think, yes. Uh, Miffed Cuttlefish says, she was a teacher. Imagine being able to make more money by tutoring on the side instead of whoring yourself out to people you don't know. Novel idea. Yeah, I think all these points are true. I also think that uh, there was another point in that conversation that I wanted to make. We kind of ran out of time. The point that we're sort of missing, which is that a lot of these seemingly normal young women, because that's 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 the epidemic, is that you've got, like, well, there's always been prostitutes in the world. And it's a, it's a certain sort of person that ends up in a life of prostitution, historically. But now you've got these women who are seemingly normal, soccer moms, English teachers, social studies teachers, like we've talked about as a corporate marketing executive. I mean, just like normal people with jobs and, and families and kids and husbands who are uh, turning to prostitution and absolutely would not if OnlyFans didn't exist. In fact, I remember back when there was, remember that was that brief weird moment when OnlyFans actually stopped uh, allowing sexually explicit content on their site because they're worried about the banks coming after them. And that lasted for about five seconds. But during that time, the critics of that decision said that, well, this is going to send, now you're going to send all of these quote unquote sex workers back out onto the street, back into uh, back alleys and everything else. And no, you're not, because most of these women are not going to do that. They're just going to go back to teaching is what they're going to They're not going to suddenly become virtuous people, okay? They're probably going to be having affairs and stuff like that, but, but, but they're not going to go out and say, well, my OnlyFans was shut down. I guess I'll go be a turn tricks on the street corner. I guess I'll go down to the Hustler Club and become a stripper. Like, they're not going to do that. Uh, this, this made prostitution accessible to relatively normal people. So we talked about that, but why would these relatively normal people take advantage of that accessibility? And I think that part of the reason for that is they grew up in a culture allergic to shame. Our culture, right? They, they grew up shielded from shame. They were raised to believe that you should never feel shame. And if you ever do feel shame, then it is the fault of the person who is making you feel ashamed. So somebody who sees your actions and notices that they are shameful actions is at fault for seeing it that way. You are not at fault for behaving in a shameful way. And what we are discovering, this is only just one example of why, but you cannot become a well-adjusted person. You cannot grow into a well-adjusted person without experiencing shame. That is a normal part of the kind of maturation process of becoming a better person. As things happen, you do something, you say something, you behave in a certain way that's shameful, and you experience that shame, and, and you realize that, oh, I should feel this way because I behaved in this, uh, in this inappropriate way. But now we go through great lengths to shield people from that, and then next thing you know, 
you've got soccer moms becoming prostitutes just because they're bored and they want to make some money. Keeping your windshields clean is always a pain. The dirt easily piles up and washer fluid just can't get the job done. That's why uh, my friends at Windshield Wow come in to save the day. Windshield Wow is an innovative windshield cleaning device that uses two magnetic cleaning paddles, one on the outside and one on the inside of your car, to clean both sides of a windshield all from the outside. All you do is uh, push around the outside paddle and the inside follows and cleans the inside automatically, leaving your windshield squeaky clean. Here in Nashville and many parts of the country, we are starting to get a lot of rain. And with that, you get this hazy and dirty windshield. Throw one of these at the back of your car so you can always have a clean windshield. I personally own a Windshield Wow. This is one of the best products for my car windshield. It's the only one that I use. In fact, being able to clean both the front and the inside window at the same time is a game changer. Wish I had one of these years earlier, so no more struggling to clean the inside. You need the Windshield Wow. The Windshield Wow applies firm cleaning pressure for you, and it's super thin to get into all those tight dashboard areas. So what are you waiting for? Go to windshieldwow.com. Use code Walsh to check out for a special discount. That's windshieldwow.com. Use code Walsh. Black Friday is coming, and The Daily Wire has the best deals around starting Monday. Get 50% off a Daily Wire Plus membership and all kinds of amazing deals on Jeremy's Razors products and tons of merch from our Daily Wire shop. There's something for everyone. Go to dailywire.com slash Black Friday and get the full guide to all of our Black Friday deals. And don't forget to tune in all next week to find out more. Remember, these deals start on Monday and run through Cyber Monday, but we will sell out fast. So don't wait. Get the guide and start checking off your holiday shopping list one more time, go to dailywire.com slash Black Friday for the best deals of the year. Almost three years ago, in December of 2020, Time published an article announcing that America's racial reckoning had made its way into high school debate leagues. Time reports with, of course, total approval and admiration that debate competitions have now become forums for confronting the horrors of systemic racism. We're told about one high, school, one high school debater named Bintu Bazemore, who was preparing for her next tournament, quote, for the team's first tournament this school year, which will be held virtually in January by Emory uh, University, high school debate tournaments are typically hosted by colleges, Bazemore is getting ready to try out her most daring speech yet. The teenager plans to talk about how black women are often left out of the conversation when it comes to mental health. Quote, I'm an African-American female. Look at me, she says in one version of the speech she's rehearsing. When you see me up here, what do you think? Strong, independent, gold digger, poor, crazy? This is not the typical stuff of, of uh, oratory meets, where even speeches about the most hot-button topics are studiously mild. Quote, a lot of speeches I hear, they're good, but they don't seem real, Bazemore says. If I'm going to say something, I'm going to say it from the heart. If I'm the only black female in the room, what I say matters. You have to hand it to her. She has come up with two short sentences that perfectly encapsulate the left-wing attitude on race. I am a black female. Look at me. That kind of says it all, I suppose. But this was not a momentary blip on the radar. High school debate did not veer off into racial insanity only to correct itself and get back to doing what high school debate is supposed to do, which, by the way, is to teach kids how to successfully argue for a position using logic and reason. Now, apparently, and not surprisingly, things have only gotten worse in the world of high school debate since 2020. A guy named James Fishback is the founder of an organization called Incubate Debate, which is a new and uh, fast-growing debate league that focuses on, it says, civility, merit, and open debate, which sets it apart from most other debate leagues these days that evidently focus on none of those things. James has been keeping track of and reporting on the radical wokeifying of high school debate. Uh, one video he posted a few days ago shows, reading from his caption, 
quote, a high school debate team winning the national championship by not debating the assigned topic and ranting about trans genocide instead. There's a lot of these kinds of videos. Kids in the middle of a debate meet, uh, or whatever you're supposed to call it, uh, decide that I'm not going to talk about the topic at hand. Instead, I'm going to talk about trans people. I'm going to talk about uh, racism. In a video posted a few days before that, we see a nationally ranked high school debater arguing that the other team's points are invalid because their team has a white debater. Watch. They have a white debater on their team, which inherently means they have more whiteness than us. We obviously know that not white it's pretty obvious go down onto our pick we give you three words why we subsume all of their protests and affirm their protests in a pick what it means is you are furthering their cause just minus the whiteness as is a vehicle for this movement we say whiteness means really bad for representation and queer people and it's a bad form of furthering this protest the best way to further the protest is to vote for our pick and to affirm it but minus the whiteness they say that we're taking over labor but first this is a new response if they read this response before we probably would have read a cap cam about how you can't like use labor across identity lines that's a really bad thing to do second how picks work is you affirm their protest we're not taking over their labor it's just a technicality of debate then they say that it's trans exclusion no couple responses that they dropped from one our constructive speech was about personal experiences about our identity we are not comfortable discussing our sexuality on a live stream with 130 people second we say that like um, them telling us how we should represent our advocacy feeds into our link about racism because a white person and someone on a white team should never be telling two women of color how they should be furthering their advocacy that's an independent link into our whiteness argument that gets dropped you can drop them right now oh uh, now i <laughs> I just want to highlight that's debate. That's what a debate, and and we blurred the faces because these are kids. You know, it's high school kids, and the 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 point here is like the point is what is being done to these kids. Actually, it's not to humiliate the kids themselves, but uh, it's a very sad thing, in fact, because it shows what is being done to them in these schools, which we'll get into in a minute. But I just want to highlight one sentence from that diatribe, which is nearly impossible to translate into English, especially this part. Quote. Whiteness means really bad for representation in queer people, and it's a bad form of furthering this protest. Now, most people will focus on how woke all of this is, but the greater concern is that it is totally incoherent. Apparently, you can win a high school debate tournament now by stringing together a series of leftist buzzwords without even bothering to connect those words in a way that makes sense. Forget about saying things that are, that are wrong. I can't even... I, I can't even listen to that and say she's wrong because it doesn't mean anything. The, nothing, there, there is no premise here. There's no uh, uh, proposition being made. There's, no, there's nothing. There's no argument being presented. It's, it's just nonsense. Now, today, another clip from a different high school debate has gone viral. And here, a student reportedly won the debate by rejecting the assigned topic and instead spending its entire time attacking white people and especially white Christians. Watch. We demand that white Christians be held accountable for America's original sin. The negative continues the trend in politics while whiteness devours the other. Debating this topic is irrelevant while society is dominated by white Christians. Even if we have something educational to say about this topic, the political will just pray it away and continue their mission to conquer the world in the name of Jesus Christ. The military industrial complex has been coupled with American Christianity, the worship of the weapons of whiteness. The United States was built to be a city upon a hill for white Christians. American Christianity has controlled all aspects of politics, such as justifying slavery. We solved by decoupling weapons and worships and ending the crusade. 
White Christians literally inscribe scriptures onto their weapons, worshiping through war. We want to repent for our sins and show America's failure. By voting for us, the judge will send his signal to political leaders and condemn Christianity in politics. It ends up being a 2-1 for Livingston. The affirmative tells me in summary and final focus that the role of the ballot for me is to reject Christian militarism. So at the end of the day, I'm left with deciding which side I think is better doing a better job rejecting Christian militarism. Uh, so he, he uh, I said, just changed the topic to Christian militarism and he wins. You know, I, I, I never participated in, maybe, maybe surprisingly, I was never in a debate team as a, as when I was in high school. Um, but I can remember in school where we would have debates, you know, where you would learn about how to, how to have a debate and you would have a, a debate you were, you were, and usually the way that is would work is that there would be an issue and oftentimes kind of like a boring issue, but they'd give you an issue and then they would, and then they would tell you, they would assign you a position, whether you agree with it or not, because it's not about whether you agree. It's like the, the point here is supposed to be, can you defend? In fact, if you don't agree, that is even better. Can you find a way to defend this, 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 uh, this position, no matter how you personally feel about it? Can you find a way to defend it? Because the, the point is supposed to be about uh, honing those abilities. And apparently they've gotten completely away from that now. And the most troubling uh, thing immediately, of course, is the anti-white racism and that these kids are openly and proudly putting that on display. But maybe even more disturbing is that they have apparently learned nothing about world history, never mind debate. They blame white Christians for justifying slavery when in fact white Christians were by far and away the first to abolish slavery. The non-white, non-Christian world had to be dragged kicking and screaming into abolition. White Christians were the ones who developed the doctrine of human rights that the abolition movement is based on. White Christians were the ones who patrolled the seas to stop slave ships. If not for white Christians, slavery would still probably be legal in many parts of the world. In fact, even to this day, slavery is effectively still practiced in many non-white, non-Christian countries. I don't blame these kids for not knowing those facts. I blame the schools for not teaching them. And I also blame the schools for inculcating the attitude on display in all these videos. These are kids who are incapable of engaging thoughtfully on an issue. They are not able to assess the merits of an argument. They cannot reason. They cannot think logically. They cannot engage in any kind of objective analysis of anything. They can only see the world through the lens of the left's victimhood doctrine. It's a lens that is perhaps less a lens and more a series of funhouse mirrors. They are trying to navigate intellectually, but all they see are distorted images, and most of those images are of themselves. They cannot see out into the world. They, can focus, they can't focus on anything but themselves. This is how the schools, which are nothing but mechanisms for left-wing indoctrination, of course, train these kids to think. Now, as I said, we can't fault the kids for this. If I was currently 16 years old, and I had spent essentially my entire life up until that point in a government indoctrination facility. And if I didn't have parental guidance at home to counteract that indoctrination, I would be saying all of the same things that these kids are saying, and so would you. And I'd be looking at the world the same way that they look at it. Pretty much everything they hear and see and experience every day is designed to condition them this way. It is a relentless brainwashing campaign that will inevitably have a near 100% success rate. That's what we're watching here, which is why I will not cancel these high school debaters, no matter how awful they are at debating. Instead, it is everyone else responsible for turning them into this, especially the school system itself, that is today canceled. 
That'll do it for the show today and this week. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Godspeed.